Podcast Network proudly presents Backwards K Pod. And now, here's the host of the show, Jake Robinson. Good moment, baseball universe. What is up? It's your boy, half man, half podcast machine, Jake the Snake Robinson from the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network, back in the Captain Kirk chair for yet another scintillating edition of our weekly digital audio baseball show that I like to call Backwards K-Pod, where we collect ballplayers and their stories. And look, uh, I've had a very, very rough past 28, 29 hours. I've gone through a lot of uh, 
technical difficulties here. And I wasn't sure how I was going to put this show out. Um, I'm sorry if my production skills aren't usually what they are. I hope you can bear with me. But uh, I made a promise to you guys. I'm going to be here every Tuesday for you giving out that smoke. And that's what I'm going to do no matter what it takes. So bear with me today. Uh, I know it's not the best production I've ever done here. But I got to get this show to you guys because that's what I promised. And I keep a promise. And, uh, you know, between everything that's going on, uh, Major League Baseball, we're going to lose the first two series, it looked like, of the year. Everything that's going on in the rest of the world. I don't know about you guys, but I, I need a fucking break. This is almost kind of therapeutic for me. So, I want to welcome everyone in. Please remember to smash that follow and subscribe icon. You can find Backwards K-Pod on all major podcast platforms wherever you listen to your pods, or you can visit our archives at diamondsnakejake.podbean.com, and you can listen to the shows on demand there. Now, I'm not here to F around this week. I've had a long 27 hours, and uh, I'm going to keep my promise to you. I'm going to keep my attitude up, my uh, intensity up, because I know that's the way you like the snake. So... Here we go. I'm not going to, you know, we're not going to have a lot of talk today. We're gonna, I got a 27-year career, and I want to get after it. So, uh, thank you for all the nice words I received on the King and His Court last week. Uh, it's actually one of my biggest shows in the opening week, and I'm kind of surprised at that. I love the show. I think it's a great show myself, but I want to thank all of you out there who took the time out to listen to that show. I'm loving the trajectory of the show right now. So, um, last week, King of the Court, Eddie Fainer, and we're going to go back-to-back power arms. Uh, last week with Fainer, and this week with Nolan Ryan. So, let's play ball. Uh, Lynn Nolan Ryan was born on January 31st, 31st, 1947, in Refugio, Texas. He was the son of Robert Ryan, Martha Lee Hancock Ryan, his mother, uh, Martha Lee, she's a descendant of the first signee of the Declaration of Independence, John Hancock. Nolan was the youngest of six children, one brother and four sisters. Oh, boy. His father was a plant supervisor for Pan American Petroleum. And when Nolan was six weeks old, his father was transferred to Alvin, Texas. And basically, his love for baseball came from him and his father playing catch in the front yard. Uh, Little League Baseball had only recently came to Alvin. The neighbor, neighborhood kids had built a diamond in a vacant lot. And it was there at Schroeder Field that the Ryan Express was established. And uh, I googled Schroeder Field. It's still there. Uh, it looks like a pretty good diamond. You should check it out. That's the diamond that, that Nolan Ryan, the legend of Nolan Ryan, began right there. And it's in uh, Alvin, Texas. Between the ages of 8 and 18, Nolan spent his early mornings between 1 and 4 a.m. delivering Houston Post newspapers. His father was a distributor for that paper, and he wanted to instill this hard work ethic. He wanted to give young Nolan, uh, you know, responsibility. And by the time high school comes around, Nolan Ryan could literally throw a softball over 100 yards, and that was 30 yards further 
than the next closest kid in the school. And really, Nolan Ryan played all kinds of sports. He loved basketball, football, baseball. You know, he was pretty seasonal. He played them all. He probably loved basketball the most. But his skills, he could have probably made a, a Division One college somewhere, but he wasn't never going to go further than that. And baseball just seemed like the logical path. Now, he did play quarterback for the uh, middle school football team. And that all ended when he had a head-on collision with future running back in the NFL, Norm Belayek. And uh, Nolan was like, you know, he, he was really scared. It knocked him out for a couple minutes, and when he was laying there, he quickly realized that his football career, for the most part, it was over. So, with his football career done... Nolan begins to focus on his pitching, and he would make the high school varsity team as a sophomore in 1963. He averaged uh, two strikeouts per inning that year. He also had a 21 strikeout performance in nine innings versus LaPorte High School. And because of Alvin's close proximity to Houston and the Colt 45's organization, the scouts of that club began showing up. At Nolan's games. And eventually, word reaches New York. And the Mets sent scout Red Murph down to Alvin to see the fireballing youngster up close. And when Red Murph arrived, he had just scouted the two hardest throwers in the majors at the time. Jim Maloney and Turk Farrell. So imagine his surprise when he shows up in Texas and he sees a uh, 16-year-old boy throwing harder than the both of them. In his senior year, Ryan demolished the Gulf Coast. He went 19-3 and for the Alvin Yellow Jackets. 20 starts in 27 games. 12 complete games. 211 strikeouts and 61 walks. And in high school, the coaches used to call him the wheel horse. Implying that he is the uh, he's the horse closest to the wagon, pulling the heaviest share of the load. For example, on March 25th, 1965, Ryan pitched a seven-inning complete game shutout. The next day, game one of a doubleheader, he threw three innings in relief, gave up one run, and struck out five. And in game two, he started, pitched five innings, one hit, ten strikeouts, 92 victory. So, in a span of 48 hours, that kid has pitched 15 innings. Well, five days later, in another 48-hour span, Ryan pitches back-to-back complete game victories to reach the state championships. And in the first round of the states, he would no-hit Brenham High School with 12 strikeouts. Five days later, in the uh, state semis, he hurled a two-hit gem versus Snyder with nine strikeouts. On May 20th versus Deer Park. That's good water, by the way. He cracked the batting, the batting helmet of the leadoff hitter. <laughs> he drilled the second guy in the arm, and he broke his arm. So the third hitter, he had seen enough, and he said, fuck that. He refused to step in that box. And so the player's manager, you know, questioned his uh, masculinity there. And he went on to probably become the uh, 
quickest three-pitch backwards K you've ever seen in your life. Now, Mets scout Red Murph, he invited the Mets scouting director to Alvin, Texas to see his number one prospect. But Nolan was self-admittedly drained from his coach, Coach Watson, sending the team through endless wind sprints the day before his start for a perceived lack of concentration and practice. And Nolan just couldn't execute, execute during the start, and his stock plunged on the eve of the draft. But in 1965, the New York Mets, they selected the 18-year-old Nolan Ryan in the 12th round with a 295th pick in the very first Major League Amateur Draft. 295th pick. Wow. So for the first time in his life, Nolan was boarding an airplane and he was traveling outside of his beloved Texas and now he's headed to the Appalachian League in Marion, Virginia. And he would strike out 313 batters in three stops in 1966. And that includes time with the Mets at 19 years old. He made his first major league start in front of his hometown folks versus the Astros at the Astrodome on September 18th. And listen to the stat line. He struck out the side, pitched one inning, struck out the side. He gave up four hits, four runs, two walks, and three strikeouts. <laughs> Unbelievable. And look, Nolan was still a little green for the majors, so they sent him back down. But, I mean, honestly, he was just overpowering prospects like they were just Texas high schoolers. From 1965 to 1967, the Ryan Express struck out 445 batters and 291 innings pitched. Uh, for those of you keeping score at home, that's an average of 14 strikeouts per nine innings. And that was throughout his minor league career. In 1967, he marries his high school sweetheart, Ruth Holdorf. He would also enlist in the United States Army Reserves. And this is during the beginning stages of the Vietnam War. He would miss a season with the Mets because of his military obligations. And honestly, it had a detrimental effect on his growth with the Mets. In 1967, Life Magazine put out an article, you know, highlighting the game of baseball and who some of these future stars might be. And Orlando Cepeda said, Nolan Ryan is the best young pitcher I have ever seen in the major leagues. So by 1968, the Mets and manager Gil Hodges, they couldn't hold down the Express any longer. And the 21-year-old secured a spot in that Mets rotation. And I should mention that towards the end of that 1967 season, Ryan was experiencing soreness in his arm. And the team doctor recommended surgery. Well, they can only recommend it. They can't order you. And Ryan, at 20 years old, was wise beyond his years. And he vetoed any thought surgery. And remember, this is long before Tommy John surgery or Dr. Andrew, uh, Dr. Andrews down in Birmingham, Alabama. You know, this is before that. You get surgery, it's real 
iffy. You might not come back ever to pitch again. So after the big veto and all the personal rehab of the offseason and, well, the belief in himself, Nolan came out like a Texas gunslinger. In his first start, April 14th, 1968, Nolan would once again face the Astros, and this time he was superb. Holding Houston hitless for the first five innings, he would leave after six and two-thirds with a blister on his pitching hand, and that was becoming problematic. He would, however, pick up that win. And the first six weeks, Ryan would give the baseball universe a taste of uh, what was to be. He hurled his first shutout at Filthy. He threw a complete game at the defending champ, St. Louis Cardinals. And he blew the red legs away with a four-hit, 14-strikeout performance. However, comma, blisters and his military obligations, they would be incredible obstacles that would hinder Ryan's growth as a pitcher in 68 and 69. In Nolan Ryan's rookie year, he went 6-9 with a 3.09 ERA, 133 strikeouts, and 134 innings pitched, 75 walks, 98 ERA+, and a 1.25 whip. He averaged 8.9 strikeouts per nine and five walks per nine. And early in Nolan's career, the walks were definitely a problem. If you look at his stats, he has amassed a lot of uh, walks in his career. But if you look at his stats, down the stretch, he really, uh, he doesn't walk as many people down the stretch. He becomes a complete pitcher. I think a lot of those walks is due to basically, he's a thrower at this time. That's all he is. He ain't a pitcher yet. And because of those blisters I was telling you about, and his military obligation while the country was at war. The 1969 season was the only year until his final year, 24 years later, that he would fail to reach 100 strikeouts. He would, however, notch his first winning season in 69. The Mets as a team enjoyed success for the first time. So the season had positives and negatives. 1969, Ryan would go 6-3. With a 3.57 ERA, 92 strikeouts, and 89 and a third innings pitched, a 104 ERA plus, and a 1.27 whip. Those 1969 Amazing Mets would uh, shock the baseball universe by defeating the Braves in the NLCS and choking out the heavily favored Baltimore Orioles. In the World Series. And one of the biggest upsets in baseball history. If not sports history. And in both of those series. Nolan was a huge contributor. In the NLCS. Nolan is on the mound. In the clinching game. In that last inning. And uh, against the Orioles. He only had one appearance. It was game three. Game three was a pivotal game in that series. He comes up, and he's in a jam. Uh, Paul Blair is up. He's got the bases loaded. And Blair, off of Nolan Ryan, he hits a missile to right center field. And it looks for sure like it's going to be a double, and it's going to clear the bases, 
and Baltimore is about to take this pivotal game three. Well, all of a sudden, Tommy Agee just comes out of nowhere and makes this miraculous catch down around his legs, falls to the ground, holds on to the ball, and really, the Mets outfield in that 1969 World Series, they were superb. Cleon Jones was making plays out there. Tommy Agee right here making diving plays. And Ron Swoboda. Ron fucking Swoboda. He was killing Baltimore. Making diving plays all over the... I mean, it was ridiculous. The, the Mets defense, especially in the outfield in that 69 World Series, was spectacular. And so Nolan Ryan gets out of that jam. Uh, and then... Two, out, two innings later, he's in another jam. He's got Boog Powell at the plate. He blows Boog Powell away with a fastball off the corner. And it looks like it's a, almost like an Eddie Fainer raise ball, quite honestly. I was kind of thinking about how Eddie Fainer at the beginning of last week's show was talking about how he faced Mickey Mantle throughout his career. And he struck him out so many times because Mickey could not adjust to that raise. Baseball players are used to pitches being dictated by gravity, which means they fall to the earth at some point. Well, Nolan Ryan and Eddie Frainer, uh, they throw the ball so hard that the ball actually has a natural lift at the end when it crosses the plate. And Nolan Ryan had that, and he just blew Boop Powell away. And in the ninth inning, Paul Blair is up again with the bases loaded. Nolan Ryan gets two strikes on him with the, with 98-mile-per-hour uh, heat. And then he breaks a curveball out. That's just beautiful. I mean, it's aimed right at Blair's head, and it just dips over the plate. And Paul Blair about broke his kneecaps trying to get out of the way of that strike. And that was the end of Game 3. Nolan Ryan got the save, and it was pivotal. And the Mets would go on to pull off one of the greatest upsets in World Series history. Now, 1970 and 1971... Uh, they were they were pretty mediocre for Nolan. He compiled a 17-25 record and 57 starts, 213 walks in 183.2 innings pitched, 262 strikeouts, a 102 ERA plus, 3.70 ERA, and a bowling shoe ugly 1.49 whip. By the end of 71, uh, Nolan Ryan had accomplished... His initial goal of pitching long enough in the majors to earn a pension. But he had not fulfilled his promise. And the many predictions uh, that people had for him, largely due to his inconsistent command and control. After four years with the Mets, his career win-loss record was 29-38. and 38. He was averaging six walks per game. And there were a couple factors that hindered his growth in New York. Number one, despite his powerful arm, Ryan really received no special attention from Mets manager Gil Hodges. The Mets had several pitchers who were more seasoned than effective. And in that rotation, they had Tom Seaver, Jerry Kuzman, Gary Gentry. They were already complete pitchers. Seaver and Gentry in particular, they came from top shelf liquor college programs. And uh, Seaver came out of USC. And Gentry out of Arizona State, respectively. 
and they had benefited through the years from sound coaching. Ryan, on the other hand, he had no real valuable coaching before becoming a pro at 19. Number two, Ryan received no meaningful instruction from the Mets coaching staff. Pitching coach Rube Walker admitted his strategy for coaching Ryan. Uh, Throw as hard as you can for as long as you can. What? This is awful. And Nolan told his wife during the 1971 offseason that if the Mets failed to trade him over the winter, he was just going to quit. And fortunately for Nolan and the baseball universe, the Mets continued their bungling of Ryan by making one of the worst trades in that club's history when they sent him and three marginal players in Don Rose, Leroy Stanton, and Frank Estrada to the California Angels for former All-Star shortstop Jim Fergosi. Uh, That trade did nothing to stabilize the Mets and their shaky third-base situation. Fergosi, who never played third before in his life, before going to the Mets, uh, he would be gone by July 1973. But for Nolan, it was exactly what he had hoped for. And with a renewed passion and vigor for learning how to pitch in the majors, it would be a long, long time before Nolan would ever consider quitting again. Ryan would spend arguably the most productive eight seasons of his career with the Angels. As Nolan began to settle in for California, it seemed like all the obstacles and the challenges that had befuddled him in New York, all those things are beginning to slowly evaporate. Now, I told you about these blisters. He'd always developed these things on his pitching hand, but now he was like a skilled surgeon, scalpel in hand removing scar tissue and calluses on his fingers, and then dipping his fingers into uh, pickle juice before every start. With his Army Reserve duty obligations fulfilled, he was now able to develop a better rhythm, and that came from getting to pitch every fourth day. He was also comforted to know that Angels pitching coach Tom Morgan not only had goals and expectations for the 25-year-old right-handed pitcher, but it was literally the first time in his career that someone was teaching him something other than being a thrower. Tom Morgan broke the kid of his bad habits. He overhauled his mechanics and delivery. He taught the fire bowler uh, how to snap off an even tighter, more devastating curve for more consistency in the strike zone. And Ryan likes, you know, he he likes discipline, he likes order, and he likes being coached. The the only person who really coached Nolan Ryan before he got to the Angels was probably Mets catcher Jerry Grote. So he's in California now, and it's during this time that Nolan, who was real protective of his arm, he made a groundbreaking discovery at that time that defied all baseball logic. He began lifting weights, folks. I know, it sounds so basic in 2022, but 
there were always like these trainers and coaches and experts who concluded that weight training, it made players uh, too muscle bound, thus causing pitchers to lose smooth, fluid arm movement and causing batters to lose bat speed. I know, I know, it sounds crazy. But that's how it was. Well, Nolan became the first pitcher to enhance his performance through the use of weights. When the so-called experts questioned his methods, he would just simply call horseshit and explain it's weight conditioning, not weight lifting. In 1973, Ryan broke Sandy Koufax's single-season strikeout record with 383, which was one more than the Dodger Southpaw. He had four other 300 strikeout seasons with California, and he led the league in strikeouts in all but one season as teammate Frank Tanana won the crown the one year that he didn't. He averaged seven and a third innings per start with an ERA slightly above three in his 288 California starts. He won at least 20 games twice, and he had 19 victories two other times. He also established a world record pitch at uh, 100.9 miles per hour in 1975 as the fastest pitch of all time. But the problem was the Angels just couldn't hit. And Billy Martin once said, uh, these California Angels, they could take batting practice at a hotel lobby and they wouldn't break a thing. And he wasn't wrong. Uh, Ryan never won a Cy Young mostly because of the Angels' inability to score runs. And during Nolan's first five years in California, the Angels finished last in runs in the American League four times and next to last in the other. Now, I'm going to tell you, there is a Cy Young dilemma when it comes to Nolan Ryan. And it has affected where some people put him on the list of greatest of all time. And a strong argument can be made for the years of 1973, 1981, and 1987 as legitimate Cy Young caliber seasons. And at the end of the show, I'll at the end of his uh, biography here, I'll give you a little breakdown of those seasons in the end. And uh, we'll see, in fact, if Nolan Ryan was robbed of a Cy or two. The Angels' inability to score, it did, however, help him break his idol Koufax's single-season strikeout record. And tell you what happened. Through seven innings of what would be Ryan's last start of 1973, uh, in those seven innings, Ryan had already fanned 14 Minnesota Twins. And he was one strikeout shy of Koufax's 382, which he had set about 11 seasons before. And this is while Ryan was in high school following Koufax. I mean, that was his idol. Even uh, Ruth Holdorf, his girlfriend at the time, said, if Koufax was on TV, you couldn't do anything to get his attention. Well, the Angels uh, had leadoff men reach base in the 8th and the ninth, but they failed to score. He can't hit. Meanwhile, Ryan, who was laboring through severe leg cramps, he tied Koufax with a strikeout to Steve Bry in the 8th. He failed to record strikeouts in the ninth and the 10th. 
Although he did work out of jams in those two innings, and he left the potential winning runs out on second base both times. In the 11th, he finally struck out Rich Reese, who was batting for Harmon Killebrew to set the record and strand Rod Carew at second base. In the bottom of the 11th, Richard Scheinblum doubled home the deciding run to give Ryan his 21st win of the season. Which really, when you think about it, that's pretty fucking spectacular with a team that comes in last place and runs. 21 wins? It's very impressive. By now, Nolan was gaining uh, notoriety. Opposing hitters were mysteriously calling in sick on nights he started. A disease known as Ryanitis. And I saw a lot of that in the 90s. Uh, big unititis. Left-handers would, you know, mysteriously come down with a cough on days that they had to face the big unit, Randy Johnson. Sounds a lot the same. Oakland A's catcher Dave Duncan, he may have been speaking for all batters in the American League when he said, Ryan doesn't just get you out. He embarrasses you. Reggie Jackson once said, uh, Nolan Ryan is like ice cream. I love it, but I don't want it shoved down my throat by the gallon. And the ultimate show of comedic respect, it occurred in the ninth inning of his second no-hitter, July 15th, 1973, at Tiger Stadium versus Detroit. Norm Cash, who had already struck out twice, he came to bat wielding a piano leg, folks. And umpire Ron Luciano nearly pissed his pants. He's laughing. I mean, he nearly died. He sent Cash to the dugout to go get a regulation stick. Cash would return with a bat and pop out the shortstop, securing Ryan's second no-hitter. Exactly two months after his first no-hitter, which was against the Kansas City Royals. Ryan's other two no-hitters for the Angels came at the Big A when he beat the Twins 4 to nothing on September 28, 1974. And his fourth no-hitter came versus the Baltimore Orioles, who were winners of five division titles in six years, and he beat them in a one nothing uh, affair no-hitter on June 1st, 1975. And I'm going to break down his no-hitters in the end. I'm going to do the Cy Young Dilemma, and then I'm going to give you all the necessary info on the seven no-hitters. But I do find it interesting to note that uh, those no-hitters came after the advent of the designated hitter. So basically, he threw four no-hitters in a 100-start span against teams without a pitcher batting. Wow. Wow. After a mediocre 1978 season, Ryan came back packing heat in 79, especially at the gate. He went 12 and 6 in the first half, and he earned a start in the Midsummer Classic. In early August, though, he strained a muscle in his right elbow, and he finished the year with a 16 and 14 record. However, he was still going to pitch on seven innings in the Angels' first postseason game in uh, club history. Uh, they were taking on the Baltimore Orioles and Jim Palmer. The Orioles would win that game in 10 innings on a walk-off dong by John Lowenstein, propelling the Orioles to a 3-1 series win and a World Series berth. 
And after the 1979 season ended, Angels GM Buzz Bavese, he made the decision to let Nolan Ryan test the uh, free agent market. And uh, Nolan Ryan tested it, and he went home to Houston without a fight. And Bavese justified this horrible decision by opining that the 13-year-old hurler was certainly on the downward side of his career. He had very little gas left in the tank. And he also bragged that Nolan could be replaced by two 8-7 and seven pitchers. And like the Mets before them, California would regret letting him walk. As history now tells us that not only did the Ryan Express still have gas in the fucking tank, he wasn't even halfway done his career yet, dog. As for Nolan, returning home to play was a lifelong dream that was now being afforded it to him because of this new profitable free agent system. Nolan once said he would buy his own ticket to go home. His own bus ticket. And the Astros rewarded him with more than a bus ticket. They signed him to a record-breaking three-year, $3 million contract, making Ryan the first baseball player in Major League history to pull down $1 million a year. And just to bring some clarity for you, three years at $3 million in 1980 is equivalent to a three-year, $10.2.35 million contract here in the 2022 economy. And initially, the major spotlight of the Houston press and the national press, it was on this huge contract. I mean, after all, Nolan was now making more money in the first two seasons with Houston than he had made with the Mets and the Halos combined. But as more players are lining their pockets with cash, thanks to Ryan's contract, the, the focus began to shift to his on-mound performance as the game's premier power arm. Ryan's nine-year stint in Houston is highlighted by the numerous milestones and records he would smash there. On the 4th of July, 1980, Nolan Ryan struck out Reds outfielder Cesar Geronimo to become just the fourth shooter to join the 3,000 strikeout mark. And he would join uh, Walter, Big Train Johnson, Gaylord Perry, and Steve Lefty Carlton. On September 26, 1981, Nolan Ryan pitches the first no-hitter I ever saw from a lead-off batter on. It was the Saturday game of the week, and it was against the Dodgers, who would go on to be world champs that year. And that no-hitter was number five. And it broke another Koufax record of four no-hitters. Now, at that time, it was Ryan's favorite no-no. As his family was there, and he was in the midst of a uh, critical pennant race right there. On April 27th, 1983, with ten seasons... Still in his future, Nolan surpassed a record many assumed would pretty much take a career when he blew Expo's infielder Brad Mills away with a backwards K knee buckling curveball for a strikeout number 3,509, passing Walter Johnson, who owned that record for 50 years. 
Almost two years later, on July 11th, 1985, Nolan would strike out Mets outfielder Danny Heat to become the first pitcher to 4,000. And it was about this time that Ryan and Carlton kept going back and forth with who had the most strikeouts. Ryan would pitch, he'd go up by seven. Carlton would pitch, he'd go up by two. Ryan would pitch, he'd go up by four. I mean, and it went back and forth, and it was exciting. But Nolan would just outlast Lefty. I mean, you know, Ryan outlasted everybody. In 1988, Ryan became the oldest pitcher to lead the league in strikeouts at 41 years old. And he would reset the bar the next two seasons with 301 strikeouts and 238 respectively. In 1987, Ryan became the first pitcher to lead the league in both strikeouts and ERA and still not receive the elusive Cy Young. His 8-16 record, it belied his season. As the team, you know, it, they just didn't hit in his starts. Houston is where Ryan became a complete pitcher. His ERA as an Astro was almost identical to what it had been in Cali. He went three. Uh, his ERA in Houston was 3.13. It was 3.07 with the Halos. His strikeout to walk ratio was better. Way better. Uh, 2.34 in Houston, 1.86 in California. He even won NL Control Pitcher of the Year in 1987 in recognition of having the league's lowest ERA, giving up the fewest hits, recording the most strikeouts, and the least walks per nine. And entering into his 40s, Ryan essentially had lost very little velocity on his fastball, he still had that big yacker, and former Reds pitcher Joe Nuxel taught Nolan a new weapon, a devastating weapon, a changeup. And that basically proved that you can actually teach an old dog new tricks. And that changeup, for sure, prolonged his career. Just as Ryan had conquered the AL hitters in the 70s, he was now punking the NL's finest. Unlike his AL tenure, the Astros went to the postseason in 1980, 81, and 86. The most dramatic postseason game of his Astros career came in Game 5 of the 1986 NLCS versus the New York Mets. And if you've never seen this game, it is an instant classic. You need to watch it. Game 5 of the 1986 NLCS. This is the clinching game with Nolan laboring with a sore elbow and a stress fracture in his right foot. He would go on to strike out 12 while walking one. And he had a no-no into the fifth when slugger Dale Strawberry hit a line drive that just cleared the fence. And that would be the only hit he would surrender. Unfortunately, his former team would beat them in the 12th inning. After the 1988 season, Astros owner John McMullen, like the Angels and the Mets before him, decided that, theoretically, he's got to be aging and declining. The right-hander was uh, surely at the end of his rope by now. But hey, Nolan Ryan, knowing his worth, he headed north to play for the other team in the state, 
the Texas Rangers. And the Rangers welcomed Nolan Ryan with open arms and a sizable raise. As for Houston, well, local sports writer Mickey Herskovitz probably said it best when he wrote, In Houston, the fans had mixed feelings about Nolan. Some miss him every day of their lives, and some just miss him every fifth day. And with the signing of Ryan on Pearl Harbor Day in 1988, the Express was now motivated by the challenge of succeeding against younger competition. He's in Tom Brady mode. He rewarded Texas with three years of top-shelf liquor stats. 41-25 with a 3.16 ERA. 736 strikeouts. Oh, that was more than anyone else in the American League during that span. He had a strikeout-to-walk ratio of better than 3-1. to one. And he pitched through the fifth inning of 54 of 59 starts from 1989 to 1991. On August 22nd, 1989, Ryan struck out future Hall of Famer Ricky Henderson to record his 5,000 strikeout. And was Ricky disappointed in Ricky's results? Hell no. After the game, Henderson said, you ain't nobody in this game if Nolan Ryan hasn't struck you out. That same year, he notched his uh, sixth 300-strikeout season at the age of 42. And only former teammates Mike Scott and J.R. Richard had accomplished that feat since the last time Nolan had done it back in 77. On June 11, 1990, Ryan pitched his sixth no-hitter versus the defending champion Oakland A's with a uh, stress fracture in his lower back. When he was asked how much pain did he endure while locking down the Mighty Bass Brothers, I wish I could do a good Nolan Ryan Texas draw because he's got the most beautiful Texas draw I've ever heard. But I don't have one. Uh, the stoic Ryan quipped, it only hurt when I threw the ball. On July 31st, 1990, he won his 300th game versus the Brewers of Milwaukee. On May 1st of 1991, Ryan shut down the best-hitting team in the American League, the Toronto Blue Jays, for a seventh and final no-hitter of his career. He fanned 16 Jays that day uh, with a sore Achilles, severe back pain, and a bloody right index finger from cracked skin. Just another day in the life of a power pitcher in his 40s. In his first season with Texas, the team drew uh, over 2 million fans for the first time. When he pitched, attendance was up 8,000 people compared to when he wasn't pitching. And they continued to draw over $2 million, uh, 2 million fans every year after 1989, which motivated ownership to build the ballpark in Arlington. On top of no-hitters 6 and 7, Nolan also pitched 6 one-hitters, 8 two-hitters, and 12 three-hitters for the Rangers. In 1993, Ryan pitched his final full season. He was hampered by rickety knees, an injured elbow and ribs, and he would give Seamheads one final memory to take with us.
and it's a classic, and it's still one of the most watched baseball moments ever. On August 4th, 1993, in a contest against the Chicago White Sox, a Ryan fastball hits Robin Ventura in the arm, and the young third baseman decided to storm the mound and take up arms with a man 20 years his senior. Now, Ryan had been in this situation nearly 13 years before when Dave Winfield charged him while he was pitching in, in Houston. And the Astro coaches had instructed him uh, to duck and take cover if that ever happened. And in hindsight, Nolan considered this faulty strategy. Uh, Winfield could have really hurt Ryan had the slugger connected with one of those wild haymakers. So Ryan threw that horse shit out the window. And he grabbed that kid in the headlock and bubba 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 and uh, you know like six you know just boom 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 right on the top of the dome and when the kid raised his head under that that head headlock bam with an under uppercut right right in the kisser and it took both teams to pull Nolan Ryan off of that boy. <laughs> First of all, I got to think that when uh, Ventura's on his way running out to the mound, there, there's got to be some part of him that's saying, what the hell am I doing? And then when Nolan Ryan grabs him and puts him in that headlock, I got to think the only thing that was going through Ventura's mind at that time was, oh, shit, this dude's strong. Nolan Ryan is not a punk, man. He's a strong, big dude. He, he's a cattle rancher. He, 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 he wrestles steers and cows. What a horrible, horrible decision. And I, I felt bad for Ventura because he was clearly embarrassed. Plus, it got thrown out. And the umpires, they allowed Nolan to stay in the game. And Nolan, unfazed by that altercation at all, he listed seven out, uh, seven innings, he allowed three hits, and he retired 12 of 13 batters after that incident, picking up the win. Uh, believe it or not, though, the last stop for the Ryan Express was on the horizon. On September 22, 1993, at Seattle, Ryan tore the UCL in his right elbow, and when the trainer and manager came out to the mound to look at him, uh, Nolan took one last practice pitch, <laughs> a 92 mile per hour fastball with a torn UCL, and uh, he turned to him and he said, nope, it's done. And after the game, he said he had heard it pop like a rubber band, and he acknowledged that his body was telling him that it's over. And there's a lot, a lot, a lot of layers to Nolan Ryan, I'm not going to talk about him becoming an executive and, you know, all the other stuff that he's done. He's done so much. I wanted to focus in on his career here. Uh, to the surprise of no one, he was first ballot inductee into the National Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, he was joined in Cooperstown in the class of him, George Brett, Robin Yount, and Orlando Cepeda. That's impressive. And that was on July 25th, 1999. Now, Nolan Ryan's final stat line, he had an 81.3 wins above replacement. 
A win-loss record of 324 and 129. 3.19 ERA. 222 complete games. Uh, 63 shutouts. 5,714 strikeouts. And 5,386 innings pitched. Whenever you talk about Nolan Ryan, you do have to acknowledge the walks. He had 2,795 walks. A 112 ERA plus And a 1.25 whip. So, his 5,714 strikeouts, it's number one. It's more than 1,000 more than the big unit, Randy Johnson. His seven no-hitters, number one. His 12 one-hitters, number one. And listen to this, folks. Batting average against. Batters in their career batted 201 against Nolan Ryan, number one. 324 wins, well, that's tied for 12th. Just amazing numbers that will make you uh, silly if you stare at them. Now, before we end the show, like I said, I do want to talk about the Cy Young dilemma. And how can a person who has all these no-hitters, all these strikeout records, batters are hitting 201 against them, how has this guy never won a world, uh, I'm sorry, a Cy Young Award? I call it the Cy Young Dilemma. Now, I went through his career, and I picked out three seasons in which he really should have been considered for a Cy Young. Some of you may have more than three. I broke it down to these three seasons. So, we're going to go through these three seasons and we're going to find out if Nolan Ryan got jobbed out of a no-hitter, that uh, out of a Cy Young Award that year. So, 1973, the winner is Jim Palmer. He's on his way to winning three of the next four Cy Young Awards. And it's the first time that Ryan was top five. Palmer has him in ERA+, plus, 155 to 123. Palmer has a better win-loss record at 22 and 9 to 21 and 16. And we know how voters used to vote then. I want to look at this through the lens of how voters vote today. Uh, win-loss records, they're like the one of the very last thing that the voters look at nowadays. Ryan had him in strikeouts, innings pitched, and war 8.7 to 4.6. And they also, Nolan Ryan had some historical significance behind the 1973 season. And I believe that historical significance does play a part in the voting. Well, in 1973, Nolan Ryan breaks Sandy Koufax's 11-year-old uh, record. He's striking out 383 uh, batters in a, in a season. That's pretty impressive. Now, here's what the voters looked at back then. The Orioles went, uh, or here's what they didn't look at. The Orioles went 97 and 65. The Angels went 79 and 83. They came in fourth in the American League West. They were second to last in runs. And Nolan Ryan still had 21 wins. So, look, Ryan's legit. And maybe the writers got it wrong by today's standards. It looks like it. Whoa, 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 slow your ponies. Because in my opinion, Burt Blylevin has both of them beat by today's standards. Uh, 
Bly Levin, 10.8 wars, better than both. Uh, his 156 ERA plus, better than both. 20 and 17 record, 2.32 fit. The team came in 80, uh, third, 81 and 81, and he came in seventh in voting. So, it's my opinion that Palmer did not, in fact, deserve the Cy Young that year, but neither did Nolan Ryan. I would have gave my vote to Burt Blylevin. Don't go by me. You check it out yourself. Go to Baseball Reference and do the research. Now, let's fast forward to 1981. Ryan is in Houston. He's dealing for the Strohs. He had a 1.69 ERA best in both leagues. A 195 ERA plus, which ranks among the best season ERA pluses of all time. But it was a strike-shortened season. 140 strikeouts and had a 3.8 war. The problem is, baseball was gripped by Fernando Manio. And Fernando Valenzuela won that year. And, wow. I mean, Vin Scully, who called... I don't know, about 400 years of Dodgers baseball. He saw them all. The Koufaxes, the Drysdales, the Kershaws. And he once said watching Valenzuela in 81 was a religious experience. And he ain't wrong. In Fernando's first eight starts that year, he won all eight, seven by pitching complete games. Five of them were shutouts. And he gave up a minuscule... Four runs in his first 72 innings. <laughs> Fernando Mania was spreading like wildfire throughout L.A. And he would become the first player to win Rookie of the Year and Cy Young. And honestly, Nolan Ryan did not get jobbed out of that uh, Cy Young award. Nolan Ryan never stood a chance against that Fernando Valenzuela perfect storm in 1981. So that brings us to 1987 in the Cy Young Dilemma. Now, 1987, Nolan Ryan at 40 years old. He's still with the Astros. He led the National League with a 2.76 ERA, a 142 ERA plus, and a 6.4 wins above replacement. He also led all of baseball with 270 strikeouts. And a 6.5 hits per nine was the greediest of all the pitchers on the ballot. And he came in fifth with zero first place votes. In 1987, the National League awarded one of the most dubious, and honestly, <laughs> I hate to say it, it's one of the worst Cy Young selections ever in baseball history, Mr. Steve Bedrosian. And I don't mean any disrespect to Bedrock. I was a, I was a Bedrock fan. So if you're listening to this, I'm not trying to be an asshole. But this 1987 Cy Young, it's, it, I, I, I just, I don't get it. It's, it's like Adele. I just don't get it. They gave the award to a closer who really wasn't that spectacular at all. Look, easy, filthy fan. I'm not attacking your guy. But Eckersley, Fingers, Ganya, even Zach Britton in 2016, who didn't win the side, they all had memorable lockdown seasons. I don't have 
bedrock anywhere on that spectrum. And again, it's a good season. 40 saves, 2.83 ERA, 80 innings pitched. This is not side caliber. It's certainly not better than what Ryan did that year. And look, as a baseball fan in the 70s and 80s, we loved our closers. This is when closers were becoming reputable pieces on a team and then the bully. And uh, closers won quite a few Cy Young Awards in the 70s and 80s. Willie Hernandez, Tigers, 1984. Bruce Shooter, Cubs, 1979. Uh, Raleigh Fingers, 81 Brewers. Sparky Lyle, 77 Yankees. Mark Davis on the Padres, 1989. They all won Cy Young since in the 70s and 80s. And by the way, Bedrock's stats are, are below all those guys. Even Mark Davis. And my only hypothesis I can explain for the inexplicable Steve Bedrosen Cy is, well, no one else, I guess no one else just distinguished themselves. Uh, maybe someone out there has a better answer than that for, for me. You can get me at backwardskpod at gmail.com. But Rick Russell, Rick Sutcliffe, Oral Hershiser, none of, none of those seasons were incredible. Nolan put up better numbers than all those guys. I know he had this 8-16 and 16 record, but that's because the Strohs were hapless and their offense was anemic. You take wins and losses out of the equation, which we pretty much agreed on on this by majority of team heads that it's okay to take the wins and losses out of the equation. So, it is my expert opinion <laughs> that Ryan should have won the Cy Young in 1987. And like I said, don't take my word. Research for yourself. That's what baseball reference is there for. Now, Let's, real quick, let's bust through these uh, seven no-hitters real quick. Uh, twist this spliff and uh, bounce. In those seven no-hitters, Ryan amassed 94 strikeouts, 26 walks. His career walk-to-strikeout ratio was 2.0, and in the no-hitters, he's at 3.6. The first no-hitter came on May 15, 1973 at Kaufman Stadium. They came versus the Royals. Bruce Del, uh, Del Canton took the loss. The game lasted only two hours and 20 minutes. The Angels won three to nothing, and the Express topped off his no-hit performance with a 12-strikeout, three-walk performance. Two months later to the day, like I told you earlier, the Angels beat the Tigers in the Motor City with Jim Perry on the mound, 6-0, 17 strikeouts, four, four walks. No-hitter number three, it came a year later at the expense of uh, Joe Decker and the Twins of Minneapolis-St. Paul. Nolan had 15 Ks, 8 walks, and the 4 to nothing victory. No-hitter number four, uh, that'd be the one that would tie Nolan with his pitching idol, Sandy Koufax, for the most in MLB history. That came against the Baltimore Orioles on June 1st, 1975. Uh, that was behind a nine-strikeout, four-walk performance. It was uh, the second time the Express fired a no-hitter in front of his uh, team's home fans. And he twirled this masterpiece at the Big A in Anaheim. 
on September 26, 1981. He threw that 5-0 jam versus the Los Angeles Dodgers on national TV that I told you about. It was in a tight playoff race with the Reds. It had been six years since his last no-no. And with this brilliant performance, Nolan now passed his idol, Koufax, and became the new record holder with five no-hitters. Uh, the Dodgers batters had no chance as Ryan dusted off 11 strikeouts and the losing pitcher was Ted Power. Number five came on uh, June 11, 1990 as Ryan, at 43 years old, would become the oldest pitcher in Major League Baseball to fire a no-no. His victim was the mighty A's of Oakland and he mowed them down for a 5-0 victory. 14 strikeouts, two walks on the road, and the losing pitcher was right-hander Scott Sanderson. And finally, good lord, man. May 1st, 1991 versus the Toronto Blue Jays. Ryan would strike out 16, including future Hall of Famer Roberto Alomar to end the game at home on fan appreciation night. It was a 3-0 victory over Southpaw Jimmy Key. And the Blue Jays were the defending world champs at the time. And there you have it, folks. What a resume. What a player. I want to thank you guys for hanging with me. Um, I don't know what's going to go on with this. I'm going to probably have to do this uh, gorilla style for the next couple weeks until I get the studio. Um, I got to get some more stuff for the studio. I'll just leave it at that. Um, I really enjoyed doing this Nolan Ryan right here. Um... And when I think about Nolan Ryan, I was kind of, I was kind of thinking about how all those no hitters are really against very good teams. The only team on there that was kind of weak was Kansas City, maybe Detroit, but all those teams were really good. They were all teams that had great lineups. He didn't, uh, you know, just bury, you know, bad hitting teams. Uh, what an impressive resume. And I got to tell you, I loved watching the Nolan Ryan uh, highlights and hearing him grunt and just all of it. It was just great. In a way, it reminds me of Clemente. Um, have you ever heard that show in our archives? I, I would check it out. He's universally beloved by baseball fans. And there's a, there's a little bit of a comparison there for me. Honestly, my perspective of Ryan has changed. After this deep research, I've always had him in like the uh, 15 to 20 zip code, but I've now moved him to my top 10. Please remember to download, share, follow, comment, rate me on Apple or Spotify. I ain't scared. You can find us on Twitter at backwards underscore K underscore podcast or on Facebook at the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network private group page. You can email the show backwards kpod at gmail.com next week's show is on Moses Fleetwood Walker the preserve, uh, the presumed first openly black baseball player to play in the majors I know some people think that uh, Jackie Robinson was the first black baseball player to ever play he was not he was uh, he was the guy that broke the color line and this is the first we think openly black baseball player to ever play Major League Baseball. But look, that's another story for another pod. And parents, 
if you see your kid sitting on the couch, looking bored, by all means, take him or her outside and play a game of catch. Thank you all for coming out. God bless and win the day.